Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 510 with Dr. Janice Presser. Janice is sharing how teams can work all the better when you apply some science of teaming. So you'll learn one, the 10 ways people contribute to a team. Two, three questions to resolve team friction. And three, a couple strategies for managing up. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F510. Dr. Janice Presser spent her formative years researching how people team together and found answers in systems theory and physics. Having written her first line of code in high school, she was well-positioned to architect a system to measure how people work together and develop the underlying theory and practice of teaming science. She's the author of seven books on teaming and consults with executives and is currently working on the question of how spatial technology will impact human relationships in the future. Big thanks to Janice for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Janice. Janice, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's awesome to be here. Well, I'm excited to get into your wisdom, and maybe you could start us off by orienting us a bit to what is team science and team ability? Well, I started out life, like anybody else, trying to get all kinds of education. And the most important thing I think that I learned in uh, way too many years of, of education, was about asking questions. So eventually, I became a system scientist. That's what my doctorate's in. And I was very interested uh, in physics. But I was always interested in people. And so I actually started to think about what's going on between people? And can we apply what we know from general systems theory and from physics to really understand what's happening? Well, fast forward many years after that, and the result was two things. One, a theory of teaming that we eventually proved out, and I did have a, a research colleague or three uh, to, uh, to help me think that through. And then the second thing was developing a technology by which you could measure it in an objective way. See, back in the day, there were lots of personality tests, and, and everybody's probably taken them. You can't apply for a job uh, often without being asked to do something. And so personality tests were pretty key. But a personality trait is really just a slice of a person kind of how they represent themselves at the time. And that wasn't getting to the kind of 
where's the meat of what I want to understand? I mean, I had a whole lot of questions that maybe you and your listeners uh, have. You know, for instance, uh, I always have to ask this question. Do you really want to work on a team? Or do you really want to lead a team? Maybe you really have much more fun working on your own, whether that's occasionally uh, being with other people and teaming with them, which is the way most consultants are, uh, independent consultants anyway. Or do you have a particular talent that you just love to do? And you might be a performance artist in any in any way. To try and think of teaming as something better than or above what's in your very nature to help you contribute to the world, that makes no sense. So what made a whole lot of sense to me was, how can we help people figure that out? And so I found out that there were really three key measures to understanding that. Intriguing. Well, so what are those three measures? Okay, first is, uh, they have names. Uh, the first one is role. Not to be confused with the way uh, recruiters will use it, you know, like I think you're ready for a leadership role or something like that. But in the sense of how do you, in your deepest heart of hearts, get the most satisfaction out of making some contribution to the larger world? And in the course of our research, we in fact validated that there are 10 ways, very general ways, and you do them in your own way, of course, that people contribute to the world. Some of us, and I suspect you, you may be very similar to me in this, we like to work with ideas, big, long-range, huge ideas that might even change the world. And that's a very different way of contributing to the world than, for instance, loving to organize it. If we're very lucky, even in our first job and even before that, and definitely in our personal relationships, we get to be with people who love to do the things that, mm, you know, kind of leave us cold. And they, in turn, don't really want to do what we do. So it gives us lots of latitude to kind of perfect and try new things out on the way that we do. So we use that uh, we use that term to designate this. So when you go through the te- the uh, through teamability, which is the technology, uh, you get to star in a series of ten movies, and that will determine that. And the important thing is that once you know that, you can better align what you are doing or the kind of job you're looking for. And on the um, hiring side, you'll actually get people who perform better because we all do best what we like best and we like best what we do best. So let's stop trying to change that. You know, humans, that's human nature. It's how we work. So that's the first thing. Well, and I'd love to hear, so if there's 10 of them, you'll be talked about ideas and organizing. What are the others? Well, there are people who love to take those big visions that we come up with and then drive them into strategic reality. And those are my favorite people for being consultants because they're great at strategy. They're, they analyze fantastically, but then they would prefer to break the work down, assign it out to other people who are just waiting to know what to do and 
then when it all comes back to them, they might reorganize it and put the finishing touches on a report. But essentially, their job is almost advisory and analytical in nature. Now, that's all great. But in order to put a company together, it's very helpful to have someone who will then take those great big strategies and all that analysis and help kind of hone everything down, in a sense, shape and form the strategy in a way that real people can do the work on a real day-to-day basis. And so once they're done doing that, then you've got a whole bunch of people who just love doing stuff. And those are the people who love doing things like sales, like things that are much more immediate. When they lead, they lead on the ground, and they're the greatest team spirit people of all. Uh, You know, the good neighbor that you have, you know, the one who works all day and then coaches the kid's soccer team and, and always wants to help you out that very well may be a very action-oriented people. And then you need those organized ones. And then you need the people who go away from the team and bring treasures back to the team. Often they don't think of themselves as team players, but they're so essential. They're the innovation people. And they're almost magical. They see things that the rest of us might just not even notice. And then it's very helpful when they bring those great things back to organizations to have someone whose job is, well, best uh, described by kind of like a controller does with money. You know, money comes in and they use the money in such a way that will advance the goals of the organization in the best way. They don't treat it like it's theirs and hoard it, but it's more of an investing in people, in process, in whatever it is that the company does. Let's see, I've got three more to go. There are the people who like to fix immediate problems that get in the rest of our way and, you know, mess up our ability to do our jobs. And people like that often are very underappreciated because, you know, they're there, they fix it, and they're gone. And so, you know, always remember, uh, if they weren't there to do it, you'd have to do it yourself. So that's that's an important thing. Uh, and then there are the people who are kind of the historians of the organization, the librarians, in a sense, the curators of whatever it is that our business has done in the past, the things that have worked. And they're very good at understanding what should we keep and what should we just pass on and you know, kind of move on. And then there are there's kind of the glue that holds all organizations together. And those are the people who go between everyone and they know what's going on. In a very well-functioning organization, they know so many people that they can actually broker informal deals. You know, one part of a big organization may have lots of resources that another part of the organization is starving for. And these are the people whose great joy it is to bring needs and wants together, to bring people together for the spreading of community, of being that. And hopefully we all have a great friend like that somewhere who we feel like when they're listening to us, 
time goes away. So that's the quick story on on those results. But okay, so we got the idea people, the organizing people, the visions and the strategy folks, the strategy to tasks folks, the executing the tasks on the ground, the innovation treasures bringing back, the allocation of resources, the immediate problem fixers, the historians, and then the the glue. So there's our 10. There are. They all have special names, of course, and you can learn about that on the website. But there's more to that. There's more to having a great fit with your job. And these are the two other things. First is what we call coherence, because it's straight out of physics. It answers the question of under what working conditions will you do your best? So here's an, my favorite example, because I've kind of been in both. For most people, stress, ambiguity, uncertainty is very uncomfortable. And so they really don't want a job that's more stressful than they're comfortable with, right? We're all pretty much like that. But there are a small subset of people for whom what other people call stress, well, let's just say we call that excitement and fun. And we probably work best as entrepreneurs, which is about as uncertain as you can get. People might say, well, you're a risk taker. Well, there's a difference between taking risk and really enjoying a pretty tumultuous kind of uh, culture. So uh, lots of startup tech is like that. And if you don't enjoy it, the environment is not going to change. And probably you aren't either. So why are you working in an environment which isn't any fun for you. And you know, this works in, in the reverse. My very first job, uh, which was a very long time ago, when I'm sorry to say women did not have the breadth of choices that they have now, I worked for a very large city. And it was probably the most boring job I ever had. And that was because nothing changed. There was no excitement. There were I, I would have enjoyed being named the commissioner, but of course I was only 21 and that wasn't going to happen. There just wasn't enough opportunity to make something happen. And so if you really, really want to make something happen, don't be in a job where you can't do anything. It will only be uncomfortable just in the opposite direction. Does that make sense? Oh, certainly. And so then what are some of the particular parameters by which you, we often see, ooh, we got high coherence here or low coherence there? Well, in a, if you are in the kind of job where making a decision and having it carried out very quickly is very important, then that requires a very high coherence uh, kind of culture. On the other hand, in, in uh, many government type of agencies, and I hope this will change, somebody uh, used to refer to this to me as the uh, Department of Redundancy Department, to, be, to have the desire to make fast change will only be frustrating. So if, in fact, you're selling into an environment like that, you need to enjoy a slower, more leisurely, and probably more enjoyable to you kind of environment. What you want is the match. What isn't better than the other or worse? The question is, what's good for you? 
And so then you listed a couple dimensions where we might find coherence. We got the the sort of like the sameness versus difference, mm-hmm. the, the, the quick versus slow. What are some of those other key dimensions? Ambiguity, uncertainty. If you don't like change, it's okay. But you're not going to be happy in a very high change kind of environment. So, you know, with startup tech companies uh, making the fast pivot. Well, a fast pivot in tech is like a fast pivot on a basketball court. It can leave your head spinning. And the fact is some people enjoy that sensation and other people don't. So it's more of a a matchup. And that's what the technology uh, is used for on both sides. Uh, So, you know, I do a lot of consulting now, not only to organizations, but to people who just want to know, you know, uh, do I have to keep doing what I always did? Well, the answer is, if you listen to many career counselors, the answer will be yes. And the fact is, it's true. The HR department might toss your resume if you've never had experience in the thing that you really believe is going to make your heart sing. But you know what? It's a gig economy now. And you don't have to have a nine-to-five job anymore if what's preferable to you is to really enjoy what you're doing. There are so many different ways to learn new things and to then try them out. And uh, and they'll either fly or they'll fail. But, you know, until you've had a couple of good failures under your belt, life may be boring. You know, again, it's what are you going to be interested in? Okay, so we got the role, we got the coherence. And what's the third one? Third one is a big group. And collectively, we refer to them as teaming characteristics. There are tens of thousands. And many people say, well, that's synonymous kind of with culture. And, you know, people are measuring culture in a whole lot of different ways now. But, you know, yes, you can use that to dig a little deeper into what you think your culture is. Because actually, in a well-functioning company, you have a lot of subcultures. Nobody wants the, um, oh, let's say the scientific development part of the company to be like the culture in the customer service department or social media, if you have one. Think about what do you have to do to do your job well? Does it involve chit-chatting with a whole lot of people and making them feel comfortable and part of your community? Or are you much more cut and dried and let's get to the bottom of how are we going to cure this disease? Nobody expects chit-chat in the laboratory. In fact, many of the best scientists I know, other people might call antisocial. No. It's, it's just that in order to think about the things you have to think about if you're going to be a scientist, you just don't have all that much time to give to things that aren't related to that. So as I said, there are tens of thousands of different teaming characteristics, and they'll show up on a report uh, or not if they're not prominent. And the fact is, they're for kind of micro-fitting to an environment. So for instance, believe it or not, there are actually some accountants who are very friendly 
and very social. I know. I can believe this. I can, can you believe it. Yeah. I know. I've even known some of them, even though the stereotype is you have your head in the numbers and all of that. Well, guess what? If you went to school and you got that coveted CPA and you're keeping up with those credits, now make sure you put it on your calendar. Because if you're like this and you're good with people, you're probably not great with times. So just put it on your calendar and you'll be okay. You have the perfect job waiting for you. You know, all those accounting companies, they need somebody like you who both understands accounting and loves to talk to people. So you should be the one that's going out to all of the, oh, you know, the meetups where the new companies are and selling the services of those other people who'll then do this part of the work, which you probably don't enjoy that much. So, you know, this is true for anyone. You're going to have some teaming characteristics, maybe, that make you a great fit in one environment, but the same job title in a completely different environment may just leave you cold and not be satisfying at all. And then there are some that are not going to be relevant at all to what you're doing, but maybe they're important to you in your personal life. Because you know how happy you are at work will be reflected when you come home. I mean, seriously, if the thing that happens after you've been at work all day is that you come home and you kick the cat or you pick a fight with the person who loves you the most in this world, you're not having an awesome work day at all. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you aren't awesome as a human being and that that job isn't awesome for somebody else, but that it's just that the awesomeness is not aligning and nobody is going to be happy. Okay. So you talk about teaming characteristics. You mentioned some, hey, you like talking to people. You like mm. or being deep inside the, the lab and not talking to people. Uh, do you have sort of a, like the 10 for the roles? you have a, a set list that show up the most often? Oh, no. No, actually, no, because uh, this, this is a multidimensional way of looking at things. We're actually measuring how the space will go between you and someone else. So, for instance, here's an example. Straight out of reality, uh, I was talking to someone, and she had a particular teaming characteristic. She, you know how we all have our blind spots? We're human. We all have our blind spots, and we pretty much all have the stuff that we really don't enjoy doing. Well, she happened to have a pretty big blind spot, and in the course of our conversation, she said to me, oh my God. That's my husband. And when he does that, she said, I have a terrible time listening to him. I just don't. She said, sometimes it's like I don't even understand the words that he's saying. And I said, well, that's really great. Obviously, you've been brought together so that you can learn from him how to then apply the, you know, loving what he does and how he contributes to your world into your professional life. And she was a little speechless. And she said, that's exactly how, how it worked. And I found out later that, that she, when they were planning to get married, they had both been sent by their premarital uh, counselor in, at their church. Uh, they had both been given a personality test and two separate uh, religious advisors advised them not to get married because they were so different. Well, 
10 years later and a couple of kids. And these people are happy understanding even more why that seemingly odd block was there to their getting together. You know, why, you know, why should this be here when otherwise everything works well is not dissimilar from what happens in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. So there we have it. So we've got these components. And, and so then I guess I'm curious in, in terms of there's a lot to be said associated with with match and and then the interaction amongst mm-hmm. people there. And so are there any particular best practice behaviors within teams and organizations that just are, are quite wise because they make good application of this knowledge? Well, understanding that People are, are healthier when they do what they love, and they'll get along better with everyone. What you want to do is start out by aligning what the person really is like, that is their role, their coherence, their teaming characteristics, with the work that you're expecting them to do. And so my favorite best practice for managers is this. You know how we all hate doing uh, performance evaluations? Seriously, if there is anyone out there who loves doing performance evaluations, please let me know. I haven't met you yet. But most people, we don't like doing them as managers, and people don't like listening to them uh, because, you know, nobody's ever perfect, and uh, sometimes uh, your compensation's tied to it. So this is my way of evaluating people as a manager. Three simple questions. First, are you doing enough of what you really like? Pete, are you? I think you are. In this job. Oh, yeah. Right. Are you doing too many things that you don't like? Now, I know you're doing a few things you don't like because, well, you know, doing a podcast involves having to do a whole lot of technical things that are besides the point. But you do it just like startup people do it. You do that stuff because it's important to the achievement of the vision, which is, in your case, obviously, the world-changing podcast, right? So that's okay. But if you were working for someone else, and let's say 10% of your work was things that you loved, and 90% was things that you didn't, you'd probably be looking for a new job. And I wouldn't blame you. And then the final question I ask is, so what can we do together to make it better? That's it. And then for the manager, you can start to look at the work that your team is expected to do in a whole new way. Just look at it from above. Think of your team as a living, breathing thing. The team itself, I mean. And that team has needs to get to its uh, whatever its mission is. Whatever you're supposed to be doing in that part doesn't matter. And then you can look at what does the team actually need in order to get to the achievement of the mission, and who would like to do these things the best. So sometimes the job descriptions that get handed down from, you know, HR to HR to HR don't really align with the real people that are on your team. You know, just because you have an official description doesn't mean that you as a manager shouldn't be able to just get the work done, take care of business, in the way that makes sense 
for everybody. It's, uh-huh. It isn't that difficult once, and I've, I'm always delighted when I've gone in and advised someone and everybody's gone through the technology and we're looking at reports and coming up with suggestions, and I find out that they already started moving some bits and pieces of job descriptions around and redistributing work to make people happier. And then, of course, they always report back the positive effect it has, because it has the, the, the physical effect of removing friction. It takes, out, it takes out the friction. Sometimes what you discover is that you have hired a little too much in your own image. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, and it's not an uncommon thing. So very strategic people will often hire people who they see as being strategic thinkers. The problem is that's not required if the job is to manage day-to-day operations. You're, all you're going to do is have a lot of people who want to do the same thing for the team and nobody who wants to do what the team really needs in one or more areas. And that's a guaranteed fail. You know, you, you'll get somebody to half-heartedly do it. You know, they'll, uh, they'll probably do it. But they'll be either putting their resume out on the street uh, or they'll be getting their satisfaction somewhere else and you will sink to the bottom on their important list. Okay, well, that's a, a cautionary tale. Thank you. <laughs> well, and so then if, if you are the individual professional and you are getting some awareness for what you need and, and you would like to get more of that, what are some of your pro tips for managing up effectively to make that happen? Uh, managing up is, is always a challenge. Managing up is a whole interesting uh, kind of thing. You know, we often think of our boss like a kind of a super parent, right? So they know more, they're more powerful. And please stop making that assumption because it's probably not true. In fact, very often you may be reporting to someone who is not, in fact, making your work ready for you to make it more accessible to you. It's not a failing on their part. It's kind of a systemic failing that there is nobody kind of managing the transition from the strategy into the action. But sometimes you're below in the hierarchy, but you're really, really good at that. So keeping in mind that one of the things that you need to not do is to invoke a whole lot of fear in the person who you're reporting to. Oh, that's very important. Fear diffuses people's energy. Fear just makes them less coherent. You want to encourage the coherence or the holding together, the sharpness, the focus of the person who you're reporting to. And so you may, you know, again, depending on your feel, for what kind of certainty environment do they want, you may need to give them uh, the feeling that things are very even keel before you go to them with a whole lot of complaints about how things are not working out. If you have somebody who is, uh, gives you that fear response or defensive response immediately, retreat. Because if you make them more defensive they will turn that back on you. Unless, of course, you want to get fired, collect some 
unemployment while you're, <laughs> okay. while you're you know, <laughs> following your dream. I, I make no judgment whatsoever uh, on that. They, you know, remember, you have your special way of contributing to the world, and so do other people. And your may, way may actually be more effective uh, in your boss's job than, uh, than they are. So you have to be tread carefully. Here's another little secret. We are all motivated by the same things. And I'm just going to talk about the two of them quickly and tell you how you can use that. So everybody has some level of motivation towards power, not power over people, but empowerment, you know, feeling I can be be able to do this. Uh, I can, you know, drive the business. I get whatever it is that makes you feel exhilarated and powerful and instrumental in your world. The other major motivator is affiliation, friendliness, being liked. Now, you can't make assumptions on that. We sound like we're having a very friendly conversation, I'm sure, to podcast listeners, but I will be the first to confess I'm all about the power, and affiliation pretty much has always taken a back seat in my life. So, it's not bothered me if somebody didn't like me or, you know, I scared them enough that they didn't want me in their company anymore because I really wanted to do my own company and have a culture that was the way I envisioned it that would be fun for everyone. So if you can get a feel for what's more important to your boss, this is what you can do. Are you ready? Yes, indeed. So if your boss is very high in power. And Pete, I'm going to make the assumption you are because you never, if you weren't wanting to be instrumental in this world, you never would have started a podcast or been a great consultant or anything else that you do. So how I'm going to approach you is even though I'm normally a real power person, I'm going to go in very low in power. And I'm going to say something like, you know, Pete, I've been trying to solve this customer problem and I just need to ask your help. Now, that's going to be hard for me because normally I've got 17 solutions and I'd like to go in and say, Pete, could you give me like 50 people so we could try these things out? But recognizing your motivator, I can enhance that and bring it over to my side to engage you to use your desire to power for power to help me solve my problem. Mm -hmm. Second thing, so I'm going to go opposite. Now, it, by the reverse, let's say I'm trying to manage up and I've got a boss who's not very motivated by power. If you're working in uh, customer service, uh, particularly in a call center, that may be true for you. So I want to go in with the reverse. For instance, something like and I can't even say Pete because this is very unlike you, but let's say, uh, you know, Joe, I've, uh, I've been giving this some thought and I'm wondering if this might be a very effective way to do things. And I'm going to give you a very, a chart, right? With, you know, maybe a few bullet points or something. And I'm going to be very happy if you adopt it for your own. So I'd be going in in the opposite direction. So it, on that power gradient, you always want to be the reverse of what the other person is. But on the cordiality dimension, you want to match up with someone. 
So that's pretty easy. If somebody is very friendly, go in first with a giant smile on your face, no matter how much you have to complain about. And if you're a power person, this can be a hard lesson to learn, okay? Because you're going to have to use some of your desire to be powerful to learn how friendly people interact. It's not that difficult. Just observe a few. For instance, they always smile. No one ever has to tell a very cordial customer service person, you know, smile before you pick the phone up. No, it's we power people who need that reminder. So go in with the smile and with love in your heart. Uh, that's love on a, you know, casual, cordial level, not no uh, bad, uh, don't get the HR mm -hmm. police on you, none of that stuff. And go in with something that matches their level of cordiality when they're on the friendly level. Now, here's the caveat here. Sometimes you walk into a situation where the other person is anything but cordial. In fact, they're spitting nails, they're furious, and all that. And your instinct, and of course, since I've just told you to match that cordiality level, might be to yell right back at them. Don't do that. The way you'd match low cordiality would be to just go cold, kind of blank, blank expression, no smiles. If you smile, the other person's going to think you're a complete idiot. So try not to do that, even though that may be your always your natural inclination to try and warm people up. If you go in minus your usual cordiality level, that is, you go in with no smile, no yelling, but no smile, eventually that will move the, the needle on the other person's cordiality as they warm it up a little bit and they say maybe, oh, excuse me, I've been having a horrible day. You know, the furnace exploded and the, you know, the cat had 17 kittens and I don't know what to do. Then you can warm it up and say, I, you know, I've had those days too. Little half smile. If they go to full smile, bring it up to full smile. But managing somebody is a matter of really managing them where they are. And that has some changes during the day. Everyone has kind of the, the motivator that is always going to spark something in them. But there's always enough room for you to get in under there. As long as you uh, understand that uh, you can never, don't yell back, that will never be effective. And what you really want to get to is a level of respect and trust on a, on a mutual, you know, a mutually agreed upon framework that actually works to help you both be more productive. All right. Well, well tell me, Janice, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? Oh, my God. Let's see. <laughs> I think the main thing for managing up, it dates back to our childhood. You know, when we're kids, the person who has the more powerful title is always the one we're afraid of. And we know they're more powerful because, you know, mommy and daddy can make that car go and, you know, they can sign their name and we get food in the house and things like that. It doesn't work that way at work. We're all adults, right? You may be working for someone much more aged, educated or anything else but you, but you deserve to have that respect and trust at the level that you give out also. So just do not be afraid of it. 
go ahead and use it. I'm forever challenging, particularly because I guess I run into it more, younger women who are not, you know, taking command of their scene. Go ahead. Just do it. Whatever you think's in the way, you can overcome it. And if you trip over it, just get up and do it again. It will be fine. I'm living proof. Awesome. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, this is the uh, back in the in the olden days, and I don't know if this is true now. We had to memorize a poem, and I think this might have been third or fourth grade, and I think I probably memorized uh, this one because it was dark, but it was powerful. And it's Invictus. It's the the first, uh, uh, the last uh, stanza of Invictus by William Mary Stanley. Uh, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's always spoken to me. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? My favorite is my ongoing research, and it's about the only uh, quantitative research that I, I actually enjoy. And that's the, my counting the number of times uh, people have said to me after I've told them about something, not knowing the person that we're talking about, but just on the basis of their team ability report. Uh, and they said, oh, my God, that's dead accurate. Beautiful. And how about a favorite book? Oh, all right. Well, I don't know if you've you've read this, but it's that they did make a movie, and I haven't been able to bring myself to see the movie because I love the book so much. And it's Madeline Lengel's book, A Wrinkle in Time, and it's a it's a children's book, but and it's part of her Time trilogy, which won all kinds of wonderful awards, and I love it because of the science in it. But I mostly love it for what she said about it. And what she said was, when I have a topic that's too difficult for adults to understand, I write it as a children's book. And she inspired me enormously. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Ah, (laughs) lose it. Lucid.com, L-O-S-E-I-T.com, because you live in a physical body and you need lots of energy. And yes, I am older than I look, and I have to give lots of credit to Lucid. I think I've been using it way past 10 years. Uh, It's just a, what are you eating? What are you exercising? And what other goals do you have? You know, that it, it it's grown as, as I guess as I've grown in use with it. And so there are lots of things you can track with it that are measures of am I spending enough time during the day reflecting on am I going to have enough energy to accomplish all these things I want to do? And if you haven't figured it out by now, um, retirement is not one of those things that I want to do. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? Oh, boy. Well, I will tell you what, what, um, what someone else has, has told me. I actually don't remember when I even wrote this, but people are always reminding me that I said it. And I said, in efficient teams, people are able to share time appropriately. You know, they cooperate over it. And in the act of sharing it, they actually cause it to expand. And that's what happens on great teams, is that at the end of the day, we don't feel tired. 
We go home and we feel renewed. And so we give more to our people, our family, our friends, or whoever's in our community, our cities, our states, our countries, the whole world, our entire environment. And that's what is important to me. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? TeamingScience.com. Uh, it, it's where to learn about teaming science. Of course, if you want to follow my my blog, I do uh, some is team oriented, but some of it is goes off in other directions. And it's just my name, drjanispresser.com. And I think there are links on either that would take you to the other. But you can please feel free to send me an email through either site. I love hearing from people and how they're doing things. And of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Dr. Janice. She sometimes tweets a little rude, but it's been over 10 years and still tweeting there. And at Teaming Science is more new. So if it's uh, tips you're looking for, I'll be getting to to get those out soon. All right. Well, Janice, this has been a lot of fun. Please keep up the great work. Thank you. It's been great to be here with you, Pete. I really appreciated Janice's take on the 10 different ways you can contribute to a team and you can identify within that, hey, what do I really dig? What makes me come alive? What are the sorts of things that I'm loving versus not so much loving? And that can provide another lens and bit of framework and clarity to zero in on what's working really well for you there. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep510. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Greg Clunas from Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Greg is sharing what are some of the tiny leaps you can make that will result in big changes for your professional life and your at-home life. And if you just can't wait that long and want to listen to some more engaging interviews now, definitely check out the Something You Should Know podcast. They share our conviction that sometimes one little piece of wisdom can change your life forever. Their host, Mike Carruthers, interviews top experts to help you save time and money, advance your career, improve relationships, and just find more joy from life. We've interviewed a few overlapping guests, and then they've got many more folks that you haven't met yet. I met Mike at Podcast Move It. He's just such a great guy with a really impressive, buttery, smooth voice. I'm actually a little bit jealous, if I'm honest. Again, that show is called Something You Should Know. Their cover art has a yellow light bulb with a blue background behind it. You can search Something You Should Know in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the current app you're using now, or find Something You Should Know in the top rankings within the education category. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 